You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For Panther fans who want to keep pounding, the ones who want an inside look at the vault, this, 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 this is views from Street. Now, Here's your host, Lonzo Wrightsell and Rob Brown. Ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, children of all ages, welcome in to another exciting, exhilarating, dare I say titillating edition of the Views from Mitch Street podcast. Your home for Carolina Panther football talk is right here on Views from Mitch Street. How do y'all? It feels much better to be broadcasting the midweek edition after a W. I would like to continue this. Please and thank you. My name is Rob Brown, host of the Rob Brown Show in Greenville, South Carolina. Welcome in. Glad to have you guys, of course, alongside me as always, although it's metaphorical because he's on the other side of the upstate today on vacation, but showing up anyway, ladies and champion, playing uh, like a champion today. The great one, Lonzo Reitzel, is here as well. What up, Zoe? Riding that high after a victory, man, it is so cool to still think about the fact that they beat the Saints. Panthers beat the Saints. Looking forward to this week in Arizona. Yes, indeed. Uh, In the Zona is the title of this podcast because coming up on the Cardinals this week, and it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, It's kind of interesting to look at the Arizona Cardinals right now. And and obviously we'll get a little bit deeper into the X's and O's of the one and two uh, Cardinals, a team that fell to the Chiefs in a big way, 44-21 to open the year. Did get a roadie at the Raiders, took the dub away from Carr and Co., but then dropped one at home against their divisional rivals, the LA Rams. Not as bad as the numbers might indicate, but it feels good, though, to start off with this take. How about this when it comes to the Arizona Cardinals? We have played the Cardinals seven times dating back to last year. The Arizona Cardinals have lost all of those to the Carolina Panthers going back to last year's 34-10 to win in the regular season. That, of course, was the moment, Zoe, that I think we all looked and went, hmm, maybe this Carolina team is okay. You go back to October 4th of 2020, a 31-21 regular season win. You go back to September 22nd of 2019, we played the Cardinals, a 38-20 regular season win. You go back to October 30th of 2016, a 30 to 20 win over the Cardinals. You go back to January 24th of 2016. And that's when we beat the Arizona Cardinals 49, 15 in the playoffs did the same thing on January 3rd of 2015. When we knocked off the Cardinals 27, 16, also a playoff appearance. The good news, if you are like me and pay super close attention to trends, The trend is that for whatever reason, the Carolina Panthers have owned the Arizona Cardinals as of late. Which is an awesome thing, but it also brings about a concern. Uh, The Panthers need to score some touchdowns. 
you know, on all those scores that you pointed out, those are pretty high scoring games for the Panthers. They haven't really done that yet this year. So they would have to do that for the first time this year. Are they capable? Definitely. But it's going to be a necessity. Yes, and 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 offense is the direction that we are going to start with. We're going to get into the defense specifically. J.C. Horn coming up a little bit later on in the broadcast because I think there's a lot that needs to be said about the performance of that young man. But there are two things on the offensive side of the ball that I wanted to talk about, and I will start with a tweet sent out from John Ellis of One Panther Place. You can find him on social media at One Panther Place. Here's let me let me read you the tweet that he sent out, and I want to get Lonzo's reaction to it. And I would be curious as to the reaction that you, dear listener, have from this tweet as well, because I have seen it on the social media rounds kicking up a little controversy amongst Panther fans. John Ellis said, quote, I know it's easy to pile on Mayfield right now, but I'm watching the offensive tape. And in terms of the passing game, it's not all on him. I'm not calling out any particular receivers. I'm not putting it all on the coordinator. Just saying it's not all on the quarterback. What's your response to that, Zoe? Well, first of all, I saw Matt Rule doing his press conference, and he kind of alluded to that to a certain degree. He said he didn't want to put everything on one person, that everyone needed to work together. Uh, The first two games, I'd definitely be on board with that statement. This last game, though, when you're missing by the amount that you're missing, uh, that's a problem. And it could be just a matter of wrong routes, throwing to a point and not to a person, and the person ain't at that point. So that could be a possibility. The other thing that Matt Rule talked about is something that you and I talked about on the last podcast was the fact that Baker didn't make any bad throws as far as throwing to the other team, that he realized when someone wasn't open he didn't try to force the ball and end up causing a turnover. So I think I think there's blame to go around, and Baker took it all on himself and said, hey, this is all on me. I've got to do better. Um, it, it wasn't the best game for me, but, you know, the team picked me up and, and, and all the stuff that he needed to say. So it probably is a combination of a lot of that, but I still think Baker had a bad game. Yeah, no, I do too. I do too. I, I I would agree with John Ellis, and I would agree with you that it is not all on Baker Mayfield. There are some issues, and we're going to get into those here in just a moment from now. It is not all on Baker Mayfield. I agree with that entirely. But it's a lot on Baker Mayfield, right? Like, at the end of the day, if the routes are bad, and, and I've had this conversation with ex-quarterbacks, I've had this conversation with QB coaches in years gone by, about because quarterbacks very frequently don't like to take blame. For instance, when a wide receiver uh, changes up his route, runs an alternate route based on the coverage he sees, especially in a quick throw situation and the quarterback throws to where the ball would have needed to go. Had he ran the original route and not switch the route up quarterbacks don't like to take the heat for that quarter likes uh, quarterbacks like to be able to say if that guy runs the correct route if that if that guy agrees and, and runs the route that was called it's going to be a better opportunity for a completion but a lot of what baker has been doing is not necessarily entirely scripted plays there is a little bit 
of mixing it up, of trying to create, trying to make something happen. And in that case, you know, when you get outside the pocket and you're extending plays because you're getting chased down, at that point, there is no script. It is, it is, it is you and the receiver. And how many rollouts did we see Baker just miss guys, right? Like it wasn't an insignificant number. There were a number of them. I will give Baker Mayfield credit for one thing. The dude has been acting, talking like a very mature quarterback really since he arrived in Carolina, right? Like Lonzo and I were recording our our, our own show when Bake showed up in Charlotte right before training camp. And we made the point that Baker's introductory press conference, which he did over Zoom because he was still in uh, in Cleveland, was really professional, right? Like he had on the suit and tie, was really professional. When he showed up in Charlotte and started talking to media members, he was really professional, really buttoned down. After the L's so far this year, heck, after the only W this year, Baker has been polished. He's been composed. He's been a pro. He hasn't been trying to deflect responsibility. In fact, Lonzo, I think he's probably been taking more responsibility for the struggles of the offense onto his own shoulders than he should at the end of the day. So I got a lot of respect for Bake, and there's a lot of this that does not go on Baker Mayfield, but we would be lying if we said that there wasn't a lot of it that does go on Baker Mayfield. Oh, for sure. And again, he's taken he's taken responsibility for a bad game. I, I, the first two games, he had some bad series, but it wasn't entirely a bad game. This last game, it was a pretty bad game. But at the same time, he hit some receivers. Those receivers made big plays after the catch, and the Panthers won the game. So if you can come out and knowing that you had a bad game, but your team still won anyway, that's it. That's good in a way because that means you know if one uh, aspect of the game is lacking, the rest of the team is good enough to pick that part up, and that's what it seemed like happened Sunday. So and Baker's not going to come out and have another game like that. He absolutely is not. It wouldn't shock me if he doesn't come out uh, this Sunday and have his best game yet. I would hope so. I mean, it, this is one of those things that. I feel like outside of I outside of I really want to see him perform better. I don't really have a reason to believe that he will until he does. But in a spot like that, this is the spot. And 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 again, I, I get that John Ellis, who has got a relatively deep social media following on Twitter and all that. I get that he doesn't want to necessarily name names. He doesn't necessarily want to go out there and, and put anybody uh, on blast as he doesn't want to end up losing the contacts that he might have within that program. So I, I understand why he wouldn't want to say any of that, but I am going to say that I think he's got a point. I think he's got a good call. I think that there have been some stuff that needs to get fixed up. I think that uh, you do have a little bit of an issue with timing. I do think you have a little bit of an issue with correct route running. I do think you have a little bit of an issue uh, with improv. One thing that I, I do want to say is that I have seen a number of spots, Lonzo, where a play looks like it has broken down, right? Like it looks like a play has broken down. It looks like a play has kind of been shortened up. And then you'll look down the field, and you find yourself in a spot 
where receivers aren't making stuff up and they kind of start jogging. They kind of start pulling off of the play. They kind of stop attacking. And once they do, uh, Baker really runs out of options because everybody is covered up at that point. That is a point where effort starts to come into play. We gave a lot of props in the reaction pod that dropped earlier this week to the offense, to, to Robbie and DJ. We gave a lot of props to them for obviously having their coaches back and delivering the game ball after that. But giving up on plays when Baker finds himself in trouble is a really good way to erase all that goodwill, and I can't see it anymore. Which makes you wonder, I mean, what's the rapport like with him and, and the receivers that are there? Uh, when when they're on, they're on, but when they're not, it looks like it did yesterday. And you get a guy like Chenault who comes in and gets big plays. If you got a guy and there's a connection between quarterback and receiver, suddenly that guy starts playing a lot more. So it wouldn't shock me to see him in more come this Sunday. And the other guys need to look out and maybe they need to put a little more effort into it. Because you pointed out when when you have to improv, you look at teams like Kansas City. Those guys know that their quarterback is going to run around and they're going to find a way to be open. Um, all, all the good teams with the good quarterbacks, that's how that happens. The winning quarterbacks, the winning teams, they don't quit until the whistle blows. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And we're going to keep looking at the offense for a while. I am, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what comes out of this next. There is one more thing that I wanted to mention because I I saw a lot of folks on the Google machine, on the Twitter box and on the Facebook spaces uh, all week long so far that are asking the question, why is DJ Moore not getting more targets, right? Like why is he not getting more targets so far through three games? DJ Moore is averaging exactly six targets per game. He's got 18 so far. He got six against new Orleans. Problem is, he got one catch out of those six targets. Some of them were just bad throws, and they barely qualify as the word target. So it's really more the ball got thrown in his direction six times. About three of them would be considered quality targets. One of them turns into a catch. So is there a way that DJ Moore can, or maybe more importantly, should be worked in the offense to try to blow this thing wide open? All right, here's the problem with D.J. Moore, and it's not really a problem. When you think of the Carolina Panthers, he's the number one receiver for the team. So, of course, he's going to be the guy that the defense keys on when he comes out, out, of, the, uh, out of his routes. They're going to, he's going to get double teamed. He's going to be, they're going to be focusing on him. That's just something he's got to deal with, something that he's got to get open more with or with all the focus on him. And I think he will. It's just – it's just a matter – it's still a matter of timing. This is a first-year quarterback with these guys. It's not his first year playing, but it's his first uh, – he didn't get a full training camp with them. Uh, he's starting to uh, – you get limited practices during the week now. So it's just a, a matter of time. It's going to take a few more games. It just is. I uh, I would like to see them try to scheme DJ more open, right? Like at the end of the day, you'd like to have a guy in DJ that is physical enough to be able to get himself open. You'd like to have a guy in DJ that is powerful enough to get himself open. He goes six foot and what six foot two ten or so they got him listed as. So he's probably more in the neighborhood of six foot two Oh five. He's not the most intimidating guy out there, 
I'm not talking just about bullying his way open. I'm talking about having some alternating routes, right? Maybe occasionally throw Anderson on the same side of the field. Give DJ an opportunity to succeed where he made his money in the first place, which is across the middle of the field. I, I, I think that because there is so much rolling protection to try to get Baker comfortable back there, what's ending up happening is DJ Moore is, is, is spending a lot of time running outs and verticals. I want to see DJ schemed across the middle of the four, especially when you've got Ian Thomas, the, 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 the tight end, who the last couple of games, though he did have a bad drop against New Orleans, the games before that, uh, including that big 50-yarder against New York, or was it Cleveland, he has showed himself to be an excellent seam route runner. Utilize that to open DJ Moore, because I'm going to tell you, uh, six targets, three quality, one catch is not good enough for DJ you know. Moore. And part of it's on DJ, but part of it's on the offensive coordinator for not putting DJ on the best parts of the field. See, that was going to be my 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 point there, is Ben McAdoo is also new with these guys. And he's got to figure them out. He's got to figure out the best way to to utilize the weapons that he has, and he hasn't done that yet. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we've talked a little offense. Let's flip to the defense. Let's talk a little bit about the other side of the football field and some of the standouts that we have seen the last couple of weeks. And now that we've had some time to really look back, I think the performance of JC Horn needs to be called out. And I mean that in the most complimentary type of way. Uh, As I've said on the pod a number of times, I don't go gaga over the pro football focus grades, but I do think there is at least a little bit of weight to them. How about, J.C. Horn with a PFF grade of 92.6 this past weekend. Coverage assignments three times for zero yards. Alave ended up with uh, ended up with a pair of catches. Smith with one in the last two games total. J.C. Horn has given up one reception for four yards. That's it in two games. Daniel Jones and Jameis Winston lined up opposite. He has given up one catch for four total total yards. He is graded out to an elite performance twice. He had the interception that put the Saints away at the end of that game on that dead duck from Jameis. Uh, you know, when, when he got drafted to Carolina, and obviously this podcast did not exist yet, but when he got drafted to the Carolina Panthers, though, I think both you and I, were optimistic that J.C. Horn could be something special. I think that you and I were both optimistic that J.C. Horn could be good. J.C. Horn has been, and I'm saying this both in my opinion and in the pro football focus grades, J.C. Horn has been one of the best five cornerbacks in all of football so far, and you can see the results of that because he's forcing some teams that like to get the ball to the outside. He's taking that away from them just by locking them down. The Saints love to throw the slant, the quick inside. He took that away. Daniel Jones and the Giants were looking for the vertical threats. He took that away. J.C. Horn is playing, after his knee injury last year, some of the best defensive back that we have seen 
out of any Panther in a very long time. Yeah, I have a rooting interest in J.C. Horn because of the college he played for. So I was really excited when the Panthers got him. We were excited last year on the show about what the the defensive backfield was going to look like. Then he got hurt. I think people forget this is basically his rookie season, really, because he hasn't played a full season in the NFL yet. So, I mean, this is a guy still learning the NFL game and – is looking really good. So the future for him is so bright. It's so cool that he's been able to do so well. Trying to think, you know, we had Revis Island. You can't go uh, Horn Island. That doesn't sound right. I guess J.C. Island. If you have to put an island to his name, I guess we got to go with (laughs) J.C. Island. Uh, But, yeah, man, he's playing really, really well for uh, a kid who hasn't even completed a full season yet. I will also go one step further. Uh, and in and, and the nickname department, I saw this nickname earlier today because JC Horn, as much of a ball hawk as he is, he's not afraid to put his helmet on a player and get some contact as well. I saw him called on Reddit earlier, Lonzo. Dig this nickname, see if it'll stick with you. JC Horn, remember Jason Seahorn from back in the day? Jason Seahorn was one of my favorite players of all time. Jason Seahorn was an absolute machine, both in coverage, but he absolutely loved to pop you for the New York Giants back in the day. Um, I don't hate the nickname J.C. Horn because he does have a bit of that Jason Seahorn dog in him. Yeah, the thing about Seahorn, he didn't look the part. You look at him and thought, man, that dude's going to be slow. That guy can't hit, and he brought it every every single play. So that's not, that's not a horrible nickname to have. No, it's a great, in my opinion, it is an outstanding nickname and it is the nickname upon which I will bestow JC horn for the rest of the year. Six, one, 200, not the most intimidating imposing guy out there on the floor, but dude has been exceptional so far this year. Ends up with 10 tackles so far through the first three games of the season. He's got the one pick, against new Orleans and has given up zero long balls. Not a one, not a one. And and by the way, that's against three teams in Cleveland, New York and new Orleans, all of whom were looking deep in the game for that big vertical play to try to break that thing open. He did not allow it. JC horn has been exceptional on the defensive side of the football. And I think he absolutely deserves to get a little bit of a fist bump for that. You mentioned another cat, Zoe, that I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, and that's Frankie Louvu playing that strong side linebacker position, 6'3", 235 out of Washington State. That dude has been exceptional as well. Came up with five tackles and a sack, and I think one pass defended against New Orleans. But more importantly, late in that game, especially after that touchdown drive that the Saints put together where Mark Ingram was able to find the end zone, Frankie Louvu started filling holes. I mean, go back and watch that game and watch every time New Orleans tried to set up a run. He was shredding the Saints offensive line. Frankie Louvu is a dude who needs some type of trophy for the performance he's putting together right now. Yeah, you know what? He was all right last year. And but he was coming on near the end of the year. This year, dude is getting better every single game to the point where 
they have to mention his name on the broadcast because that's the kind of stuff he's doing on defense. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you think of Luke Keekley, you think of Thomas Davis, you think of some of the better linebackers that the Panthers have had, and you hope this guy is able to uh, to come somewhere near that, and he might be on the road to getting there. What's interesting is that in the way that that Frankie has stepped up, I think it's also kind of taken the pressure off of Shaq Thompson a little bit, right? Shaq Thompson, we thought, was kind of going to be the heart and soul of this linebacking core this year. And he's really freed Shaq Thompson up to kind of be more of a gap guy, a guy who's able to play the way he wants to play by looking at where the plugged holes are going to force running backs to step out and make things happen. And in doing so, Shaq Thompson has been able to be a little bit more mobile to play a little bit more horizontal when you've got teams, primarily Cleveland and new Orleans that were trying to get the ball off tackle and around the outside. Uh, you know, one of the things that you'll, you'll see when you watch enough football is that even if a guy is not involved in the defensive play at all, sometimes he can cause the defensive play and the way that Frankie was opening things up by decimating the point of attack forcing uh, running backs, forcing wide receivers to go in other directions. It basically set them on a crash course for a guy like Shaq Thompson. I, I, you can't, you can't underappreciate that enough. I, you know, to, to have a guy whose impact on the game, especially at the line of scrimmage opens the floor up for other defenders to have a little bit more, more a little bit more mobility, a little more range within their game. I mean, that's infinitely valuable, and that's what that kid's done all season long so far. Yeah, and he has a high motor, and chances are if there's a tackle on the field, he's there somewhere, which is, again, one of the things with with Thomas Davis and with Luke Keekley, they were in on almost every single tackle, and Luvu seems to be uh, doing that now, and uh, that's just awesome, having a guy that's running around and doing all the things he needs to do and progressively getting better. Without a doubt. Without a doubt, it's 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 something else, man. It's something uh, to be impressed by. Uh, there, there obviously are some things statistically that I wanted to bring up. As of right now, Carolina through three games is getting outpaced by opposing offenses, and and I'm 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 going to come to a point with the stats. So don't panic just yet. I'm going to come to a to a to a point with the stats. Carolina is getting outpaced in first downs. They are getting outpaced in third downs. They are getting outpaced in fourth down conversions. They have been outpaced in total offensive yards. They are being outpaced uh, on number of plays and average yards per play so far. They have been outpaced in total rushing yards. They have been outpaced uh, in total passing yards so far. They have been outpaced in completions. The only spots they have not been outpaced are number of sacks. Carolina's got more sacks than they've given away. Number of field goals. They've ragged more field goals than the bad guys. And number of touchdowns where they are level so far. The point that I'm making is this. The statistics where only the defense is involved, we are winning every one of them. It's the statistics where the offense is involved that we are losing ourselves right now. And for the record, though, that says more about the 
quality or lack thereof of the offensive production than the defense because all of those numbers that I gave you, most of them are below the NFL average in terms of number of yards, catches, et cetera, et cetera, surrendered. Most of those are below NFL average, yet we are getting paced in every statistical category where the offense is involved, every statistical category where the defense is involved as a team statistic, we are outpacing our opponents, Cleveland, New York, and New Orleans. That says to me the defense is doing a hell of a job and it's time for the offense to catch up. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, all three games, the defense has kept the Panthers in the game. The first game, they lost by three. The second game, they lost by three. This last game against the Saints, the Panthers won. And you could say that the corner was turned by the defense uh, scoring a touchdown on a, on a forced fumble. So, I mean, that the first touchdown for the Panthers in his last game was from the defense. So, from a defensive standpoint, you got to look at it. Okay, if we need to score one touchdown per game, and that's what it takes for us to win, then that's what we're going to do. And I'm sure that's what they're going to try to do. All right, steaming toward the end of another titillating edition of the Views from Mint Street podcast. Rob Brown, Lonzo Reitzel with you. Is that, is that your new word? Is that your new word? It is. It is. Yeah, because like you're, you're enjoying that word. Just a couple it's, segments and you're using it multiple times. So it's, it's an underappreciated word. It gets people's attention is what it does, great one. That's what it does. It, it makes you smile. I guess that's all that matters. It does. It may, if you smile, so do I. There you go. I like it. Uh, so do us a favor. If you're listening to this pod, if you're enjoying this pod, if you would like more of this pod, do us a favor, share this pod, put it up on your social media, send it out to your friends. If you've got Carolina Panthers fans that you think would want to be up to date on all the newest Carolina news and information, hit them with it. You can grab the link, the share link off of wherever you're or their major podcasts are found, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, or free on the Odyssey app. Send them a link to the pod. Tell them to download it, to subscribe it, to be a part of what we are trying to build here with the Views from Main Street Podcast. All right, let's get a couple more topics in here before we wrap up the midweek edition and turn our sights towards the Friday edition. Uh, this one is kind of interesting. Sunday at home against the Redbirds could be ugly. Not the game, but the game. Because Hurricane Ian, which is currently bearing down on the Florida Peninsula, has begun shifting to the east a little bit. The problem is, as of right now, Models show that once it gets up over Florida, makes its way up to around the St. Augustine Jacksonville area, it will begin a brief jog back to the east. And as of right now, 6.15 on Tuesday evening, the path of that storm could bring its remnants. Obviously, it will not be a depression, hurricane, or tropical storm at this point, but could bring the remnants of Hurricane Anne including a significant amount of rain right over the stadium on Sunday around the time that kickoff is scheduled for Arizona versus Carolina. We've already seen 
a number of games around the Carolinas being moved. I'm sure it is happening around both North and South Carolina, but here where we are in the upstate of South Carolina, in the Greenville-Spartanburg area, all of our Friday night high school games have been moved to Thursday evening because the showers are expected to start rolling in Friday night. The University of South Carolina has already moved their Saturday afternoon game against SC Upstate. They have moved that game to Thursday evening at 7 p.m. to be out of the way by the time the rain gets here on Saturday. Still waiting to see what Clemson is going to do since they're hosting college game day or at least are scheduled to on Saturday. But by the time Sunday afternoon rolls around, that is around exactly the time that heavy rains could maybe potentially, I am not a meteorologist, nor did I stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night, be hovering over Bank of America Stadium in downtown Charlotte. Obviously, if there are still lightning uh, strikes within that storm, that game could be postponed, delayed, or moved. If it is not lightning and just heavy rain, they may try to play in it. But if the weather has an impact in this game, Lonzo, Chuba Hubbard better get his long spikes on because I expect he would be pressed into heavy duty. Yeah, uh, we saw what really heavy rain is like in a football game earlier in the year. or I think it was like two games ago. Might have been week one or week two with Chicago to the point where, you know, there's all the video out there of them uh, basically chest surfing on the turf afterwards. Justin Fields doing that and just sliding for like 15 yards because of how much water was there. So that definitely could be a problem. The irrigation in the stadium is pretty good. I've been there during rain before. Uh, but rain definitely affects the passing game. And usually the team with the better running game is going to uh, going to win that game. Now, you could look at it and go, yeah, but Kyler Murray. But Kyler Murray probably weighs like 150 pounds. He, he may weigh more than that. I don't know. I haven't seen him on a scale. Uh, but these smaller guys struggle running in the rain. The bigger guys usually do better because they sink into the turf. That's how that works. They sink. And so you're right, Chuba Hubbard. Uh, he needs to hang on to the ball, though. We see we seen him lose the ball when the weather was dry. Uh, what's he gonna? This last game, he did pretty well, though. So yeah, we'll probably see a heavy dose of him in the rain, and uh, still gonna see McCaffrey too. If this plays out the way that it possibly could with rain in the area on Sunday. What would be interesting is the offensive line for the Panthers because they've actually played much better than I expected the last two weeks against New York. They got blown up in a couple of spots. The saints blew them up a couple of times and were able to pressure Baker out of the pocket, but overall, and again, I don't lose my mind over the PFF grades, but the PFF grades have been pretty dadgum good for the Panthers offensive line. You go flashback three weeks back to the beginning of the season. Lonzo was all but holding and petting my head, telling me it's going to be okay. The offensive line's going to gel and be fine. And I panicked a little bit, but the last couple of weeks, they've played exceptionally well. If it is soggy, if it is gross, if it is nasty on Sunday, I've got a little bit more faith that they will be able to win the three yards in a glop of mud challenge 
against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, the Cardinals running a 3-4 defense will not have as many bodies at the line of scrimmage. Would they switch that to a 4-3 based on the weather? I'm not entirely sure. They got a couple of guys up front, obviously in J.J. Watt, obviously in uh, Isaiah Simmons, the right linebacker, and Buda Baker back there at that free safety that love to come up and attack. It would be a challenge, but I feel a little bit better about this game happening in the rain again if it does in week four, though, than I would have if this game was scheduled in week one or week two. You know, something else to factor into, we talked about Baker earlier. Baker Mayfield has spent a lot of time in bad weather in Cleveland. So it's not like it was all sunny skies there because I'm from Ohio and uh, Cleveland is dismal, which is why I'm glad I never lived there. But Baker did, and he had to play there a ton in some really bad weather, including rain and snow and all this stuff that happens in Cleveland. So I think he's going to be better prepared for this kind of stormy weather than uh, than that uh, diminutive quarterback in Arizona. So I was watching- where, where it's always sunny, by the way, always sunny in Arizona. Uh, I was watching the NFL Rewind on Sunday after this was all over, and the NFL Rewind crew actually voted the Carolina Panthers offensive line uh, as their high-performing offensive line of the week. So the NFL Rewind folks, the NFL Net folks, took a little vested interest in where the Panthers are right now. And, and, And again, listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this offensive line is the best in football. They're not yet, but they had a great week against new Orleans. They have gotten much better. The few spots that I have been concerned about a good chunk of it being icky and Brady on the left side, the pass pro was a little bit shaky against new Orleans in spots, but you also got to keep in mind, as we mentioned, The New Orleans Saints have one of the best defensive end duos in the entire National Football League with Cam Jordan lined up over on one side and Marcus Davenport on the other. So it makes sense that the defensive end rush from New Orleans would would create problems for a rook. But one of the things that I've noticed about Ike Aquanu so far is that a lot of the problems that he has had specifically in pass pro, a lot of that has to do uh, with setup, right? A lot of it has to do with spots where his splits are too wide. We've talked about this on the pod in the past. Spots where his splits are too wide. Spots where his first drop step isn't quite deep enough and the defensive end is able to get hands to jersey before Icky really gets an opportunity to set back into his stance. The good news, though, is these are the fixable things. These are the things that are easily fixable. It's 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 basic mechanics, right? Now, and it's basic mechanics that as a rook, it's obviously easy to get caught up in, uh, especially when you are a dominant player at that position in the at the college level because you can get away with that, right? How many players have we seen first and second round draft picks that get to the league and they've just got bad mechanics. And people go, how, how are they this bad as a first-round draft pick? The answer is they were so talented at the college level that they were able to make mistakes and then just out-athlete the guys that would otherwise get beat. It's not that way at this level of the league. 
The good news is Icky continues to learn, continues to grade out higher week by week, continues to set right those little mechanical mistakes, and all of the sudden, he's looking better by the week. Again, still some spots where they were a little bit shaky against New Orleans, but overall, uh, this offensive line has gotten some recognition from the NFL net, from the analysts that are watching. These guys look pretty good. Yeah, the one thing that, that gets me is the splits. It really does as someone who, who played tackle in high school and played guard in college. Uh, a little bit of that could be helped by Christensen could help him out. You could look at him and, and like wave him in a little bit closer uh, to, to get the splits a little bit tighter. And the other thing is he's still adjusting to the game. And you're talking about how good he was in college. I'm sure he was amazing in high school. And, and you realize that the NFL is a pyramid. You got the top of the top there, and he's been going up against some really, really good defensive guys. He's probably waiting waiting for somewhere down the line, okay, that defensive line isn't that good. I can't wait to see what it's like not going up against an all-pro because that's what he's been doing is going up against all-pros the entire time. By the way, and, and just to give a little levity here regarding the conversation about Icky, uh, I don't know how many of you, if any of you, watched the Monday night football game, Dallas versus uh, Dallas versus New York. Evan Neal is the uh, left tackle for the New York football giants. Evan Neal was expected to be an absolute stud out of Alabama, selected seventh overall by the Giants in last year's draft. Evan Neal was a train wreck in the Monday Night Football game for the Giants. Evan Neal, if if you ask me to list the two or three reasons that I think that the New York Football Giants, a team that defeated us a few weeks ago, ended up losing to the Dallas Cowboys late in that game, part of the reason why is because the New York offense found a rhythm. And then Evan Neal kept getting Danny Dimes absolutely Danny dropped in the backfield. We are okay. We got the right pick. Had we selected Evan Neal instead of Ikea Kwanwu, we would have been in real bad shape right now. I mean, real bad shape. So you, you, you took a guy who was probably not even projected an Icky to be the starter at the beginning of the year. Uh, he had a real rough go of it. In week one, remember Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney, the best defensive end conversation you will have in the NFL. In week two, against a little less talented, but still not bad New York pass rush, he looks much better. And then against the, against one of the top two or three defensive end pairs in New Orleans, Icky was just fine. Now, in fairness to Evan Neal, he was going up against Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons is a freak of nature. I get that. But... Icky has been, Lonzo, I think the word that I would assign to him right now, Icky and Brady on the left side have been trustworthy. Not perfect, not exceptional, not pristine, not top class, but they've been trustworthy enough. And for a developing offensive line, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah, in the end, you're putting a rookie out there at left tackle. And most years and most rookie left tackles, the quarterback will be getting killed. And... Yeah, uh, Baker's been sacked a couple times, 
But if you look at who they've been going up against and you put in some other rookies from the past and even you're talking about from the Giants, Baker would have gotten destroyed and he hasn't. Um, he got he got nailed a few times in the in the uh, first half of the first game, but since then he's been relatively clean. So that's I mean I think Aquan is not only living up to expect expectations he's surpassing them because he's a rookie, like I said, going up against all these all stars and he's holding his own. I uh, I will tell you this, um, offensive line as a rook is one of the hardest positions to learn on a football field, right? Cause with, with, with the wide receiver position, it's, it's memorizing a playbook. It's on this play. You do this. And maybe you have a couple of RPOs where you got to remember your assignment. Maybe you got a blocking assignment here and there uh, running back kind of the same situation, right? Like it's basically, you're going to look, that's my hole. I'm going to hit it. I'm going to wait for the pulling guard, jump in his hip pocket, et cetera. Uh, you know, I, I played offensive line in high school, which this may shock you wasn't good enough to go to the league. Who knew? I know Lonzo did as well. Lonzo left tackle, especially blindside tackle on any given formation, any given play, you could have like three or five or four roles. I don't know why I counted those out of order. Get off me. I'm tired. You could have three or four or five different rules that you have to follow to pick out who you're supposed to block, right? Like if the defensive end is at an inside seven versus an outside nine, or maybe he steps over and he's inside the guard in that outside three technique. If the linebacker steps up, head up, you got to do this. But if he's inside, you got to do that. And you've got to be able to run through all those things rapid fire. And all five guys on the offensive line have to do that. And they all five have to get it exactly right. Or a defender is going to blow up the play. I think Iki Kwanu has done a more than respectable job at one of the hardest positions on the football field to learn. Absolutely. And we talked about Christensen. I'm sure that guy's helping him out. I'm sure everybody's helping him out. But in the end, this is on him and his talent. And before the draft happened, we were calling on so were most Carolina Panther fans, please address the line problem. And Drafting Aquanu was a good draft. And one thing the Panthers have been able to do, they've had some pretty good drafts, and this so far has been a great pick. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is where we will leave you for the midweek edition of the Views from Mint Street podcast. Again, do us a favor. Tell your friends. Share it around. Put it up on your social media. We would love to have you as part of the Views from Mint Street crowd. We will be back with you. On Friday with our weekend preview pod where we will take a look ahead at the Arizona game and break down the X's and O's. Hopefully have a special guest joining us for that. Lonzo, before we get it out of here, any final words for the people? Yeah, just stay dry. That storm's coming. Yeah, not looking forward to that. Not looking forward to that, but hey, a little rain football, maybe. We'll see what happens. For Lonzo Reitzel. My name is Rob Brown. You can follow him on the social media at Lonzo on Word. Follow me across all the social medias at the Rob Brown Show. We will see you back here on Friday for a little more. Views from Men Street Podcast. Keep pounding, baby.